Let's face it, living takes guts, and living a full life takes a lot of guts. Igniting Courage podcast is the place you can come to get a blast of courage from real people who are clawing their way through life just like you are. We're going to talk about big courage and also little daily courage. You'll hear people's opinions on how to build courage and how to summon it when you would rather join the circus and never be heard from again. So welcome. I'm glad you had the guts to show up for this conversation. Hey, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to Igniting Courage podcast. This is my interview with Ryan Hannon. Ryan, I'm I'm not even sure how I met Ryan, but immediately thought, wow, this guy's awesome, and then found out that he does homeless outreach here in Traverse City, goes around trying to help people that are experiencing homelessness to find homes and to get services they need to, uh, to improve their quality of life. So it was an automatic choice for the Igniting Courage podcast, not only from the perspective of of him and the job that he does, but also I figured he could give us some great perspective on the courage it takes when you are experiencing homelessness and getting out of homelessness and starting to be in a quote-unquote normal way of living. So I was really excited, and Ryan did not disappoint, came out with some phenomenal input on the experience of homelessness and on what he does for a living. I hope you enjoy it, and you get some new perspective on the courage it takes to live in this world. Enjoy. All right. Well, welcome to our podcast, Ryan Hannon. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we're actually in the studio, which usually I do these over the phone, so it's fun to do them in in person, too. Yeah. Um, So, Igniting Courage, what does courage mean to you? What's your basic definition? So, for me, courage means to be able to do something you don't want to do, even though you don't want to do it. And a lot of times, standing in the gap, even if you're the only one standing, to me, that is courage. All right. I like that. Standing in the gap. Yeah. I remember when we did some systems change in the response to homelessness in our community, and and it was in line with system change all across the country. But really, our community was very late to the game in that. Back in 2010, HUD gave some guidelines to make prioritization possible, meaning making sure the resources that they're providing to communities to get to the people that need them most. And back then in our community, that no one was doing that. It wasn't even mentioned at the meetings. And it wasn't until about 2013 when I really started to pay attention and get um, some information and, and awareness through conferences around the state about this thing that was happening where they were trying to get resources to people that need it most. Give yeah. us a general overview of what you do. Because um, you do work with, with people experiencing homelessness and kind of yeah. wanted to learn a little bit about that and, and what you do and how courage plays into your role. And then we'll talk a little more. So I'm the street outreach coordinator for Goodwill Industries. And what that means is I coordinate the outreach to people experiencing homelessness out there on the streets and in the woods and cars, campers, sheds across northwest Michigan. And so what we do is we locate and engage with people experiencing homelessness and bring resources to help people end their homelessness right where they are. I've been doing it for about 11 years, and now we were able to reword some grants and and change some job descriptions of people at my organization, mainly the, the shelter case managers, to be more like outreach. So now 
I lead a team of seven outreach workers in the communities here to be able to work with people experiencing homelessness. And that is a, a huge change. For many years, it was just myself and another person, and, and it got pretty overwhelming out there. So what we were able to do was change the job description. So there used to be um, shelter case managers at the Goodwill Inn, and they would do exactly that, help manage people's shelter stays. There was a housing component in there, but it, the main focus wasn't to help people get housing. There was a lot of other, what we think of now as silly things of making people to do, like go to self-help groups or do things to address their symptoms of whatever they had going on. And what we found in all across the country was found that people really need housing. People can't recover from their ailments without housing. It's really difficult. In all my years... 11 years I've been doing this, I've never seen anyone get mentally well or sober living while homeless. So a few years back, we changed the job descriptions of the shelter case managers to be housing navigators, meaning we're solely focused on helping people access housing, either through uh, a homeless program with a subsidy and support, or finding a room to rent, or finding another person to be a roommate with, or reuniting with family. Whatever we can do to help people get housing is what we're mostly focused on. Now, if a need comes up where someone needs a substance abuse treatment or detox or connected to mental health services, we'll work to do that. But we're not requiring people to do those things. We meet people where they're at and help them get housing first. That really increased our capacity. But then what we found was when people left the Goodwill Inn shelter, and they were either, if they didn't go into housing, then they lost their support person. So now we're able to change it so the housing navigators are more like outreach. Ah, okay. They can keep their worker. And then we have two family workers who work with people, families who are experiencing homelessness, two workers who work with youth and young adults, 14 to 24, and then three workers working with uh, single adults or couples without children to try to help end their homelessness. Great. And how's it going? It's a, a more rough of a transition than I thought. So oh, really? shelter-based case managers are used to being in shelter. So helping part of what I do is coach and train them to get out and about and be able to do their work out in the community and, and help people where they're at. So it's a, it's been a bit of a transition, but it's it's going fairly well. So where do you think courage plays into that? Not only, well, let's start with your role. Where are you yeah. So my role, I'm, I'm now doing less direct service with clients and more coaching the team to be able to do that. So it takes courage to help encourage them as well and finding out the different personalities and ways that the team works individually to be able to help guide them and, and help provide some courage for them to go out. It may be uh, a little scary to go out in the community and meet people where they're at when they're used to being in the shelter. Mm -hmm. So I have to encourage myself to help people find what's within them to be able to get out there and do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a total, this leadership thing. It's interesting that you say, you know, as I was asking the question, I thought you would say, oh, you know, it's going to people in the woods where they've got, you know, and that sometimes can be a little scary. And you're saying it's the leading the people. It's the leadership management that, yeah. that is now where you need to pull your courage, which is, uh, which is you know, it's an important thing because we don't realize that it's a different skill set. It is. Frontline versus managing people. So it's a little different. And, and to me, in all the years going out and reaching out to people, that's not 
scary at all. Maybe it's because I'm so used to it, but I, I would think sometimes in new scenarios, a lot of times it's someone sleeping in their car. I can see where having courage to go knock on a car, and, and a lot of times it's more, how are they going to react? People in, in cars, a lot of times, maybe they're newly homeless or they, they, they're ashamed. Of course, homelessness is a, a terrible thing. There's lots of stigma around it, but being able to overcome that, to reach out to that person. So that part to me is easy because we're outreach and that's what we're there to do. And if we don't, then what, right? Who's going to do that? No one. So to me, overcoming the discouragement of, of that is easy. Now, when we, we were first talking about uh, the homeless response system and the resources getting down to the people that need it most and that change, that's where there was a lot of standing in the gap on, on my part. HUD gave these directives to drive the resources down to the people that need it most. We call that prioritization. So we use a, an evidence-based tool all across the state to rank people most likely to die next on the street. And then we're supposed to house those people at the top of the list first. Mm -hmm. And in our community, the implementation wasn't as easy as what I had thought. And I was actually taken aback by, why wouldn't people want to do this? Well, change is hard. Mm -hmm. And the clientele that we work with on the streets can be extremely difficult to work with. So these agencies and these places that are used to working with people were used to working with people that showed up for their appointments, showed up on time, had all their documents ready, and were not so difficult. Mm -hmm. Where people on the street, we really have to use motivational interviewing and work with folks and try to encourage them to not only believe in themselves, but also believe in the system. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very difficult thing to do. So, Well, it, the system's probably let them down it several has. times, so I can see where that trust would be a little difficult to... Too. Totally. Yeah. So standing in the gap in, in those places in the community, for me, took a lot of courage because it, it, it was hard. And what I did was I started to spend less time on the streets and more on helping the systems change because I noticed on my prioritization list of the most likely to die next on the street, I called it, I'm, I'm the death list. I was sick of making the death list and, and not having these things happen. So now... I'm glad to say the community has turned around. They really now have embraced it. It took a long time, but there were years of meetings and standing in the gap and, and all by myself and, and taking the brunt of the unwillingness of, of the system to change, mm -hmm. which it took courage, and, and I don't mind that. It can be hard, but it's it's to me, in my mind, it's I have to do this. If I don't, the people that I'm serving are affected. Yeah. Oh, and so let me just make sure I understand this right. When you say standing in the gap, you basically mean standing in the gap of where everybody is and where we need to be. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yep. Okay. So, for example, HUD will send dollars to communities and the Northwest Michigan Coalition and Homelessness is the group where they decide how that money is spent. So Street Outreach actually gets some of that money to do what's called coordinated entry. So we do assessments and we help coordinate the entry into those homeless programs which is good because then we're able to get the people that need it most in there. We look at that list that I called the death list and we say, okay, when there's an opening in one of these HUD-funded programs, who's next on the list? And then we take that person and match them with that housing program. First, it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a resistance to, to, to implement that. And at, at first, even before that, there was an ignorance. Like, it wasn't even like known that we had to do that and then as HUD started to kind of increase that criteria it started to come around 
standing in the gap, like saying, hey, this program, why aren't you guys taking these clients? And, and then having other people in the community on board to ask that same question. But at first, someone has to ask that question and takes courage to do that. And, and to me, taking my knowledge and my experience and what I see of human suffering on the streets really helps to overcome that fear of standing out as the bad guy in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I, I kind of see two pieces of courage. It's not only standing out and asking that question people don't want to ask, mm-hmm. but it's also leaving the front line, leaving that, because you said you had to take a step back from outreach and from walking out on the streets and finding these people to going into the meetings to make this shift. And a lot of people are scared uncomfortable stepping away from that front line where they feel like I'm doing something good and spending a bunch of time in that gap, in that bureaucracy to make it happen. Um, But the cool thing is you've now brought everybody on board, moved it into where you need to be, and uh, and hopefully more people now, or it sounds like more people are out on the street doing the work you used to do. Yeah, so it's kind of come full circle now. So I I step back, I I still spend time on the street, but spent less time and did more bringing that voice of what actually happens to those community-based uh, meetings. And, and I, I want to say that there were some community champions in the community that got on board and really helped to drive that. In. But now I don't have to spend as much time at those level of meetings where I can get back to leading the people on the street because the system is now working. Nice. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So how do you build up the courage of the teams now that you are coaching and getting getting out on the street? How are you building their courage? Well, it's a lot of listening to what their concerns are, and they might not come right out and say it, right? Because there's an expectation of we're homeless outreach workers, we're housing navigators, we're working to end homelessness, right? And if they're feeling inadequate or not sure of how to do, they, they may be fearful of not being able to uh, fit that expectation. So if I get an inclination of where they're, they're feeling inadequate, then I can start to build into them and, and encourage them and share stories of major fails that I have had to be able to help them overcome those. I, I encourage the group to, I say, go make mistakes because we learn from our mistakes, mistakes very well. So doing that and, and really sharing examples and then, um, tips that I've used over the years to try to help engage and, and get things done with people. And it's interesting that you say the skill development piece is, is kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. It's part of building courage for somebody to go out and go ahead and fail, Some, which is none of us like that. No. Um, is that encouragement, it's listening, it's all those soft skills that leaders need to have so that people will believe in themselves. And I think that's, that's an interesting piece of that there. Yeah, we really want to help sell why like why am I doing this and really helping to encourage the folks of why we need to get down to the the people that need us most and sharing the stories and the the evidence of you know housing first works people dying in the streets is terrible living homeless is a terrible thing it's really bad for your health and so really trying to instill how important it is to get out there to the people that need us most some of the the pushback or questions I would get was, well, the people in the shelter need us too. And like, yes, they do. But we really look at the scoring and the, the level of medical vulnerability and sharing why we need to prioritize. And, and that, that's the same sharing in the community to try to get the whole system to respond to serving the people that need, need us the most. 
And you talk about a why, and I think I talk about this to audiences and to different people and how keeping in mind that why am I doing this often will help you say, okay, I got it. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't, I'm, I'm not courageous, not feeling courageous right now, but I know why I'm doing this and that's more important than me feeling comfortable right now, which is a, a big piece of it. Yeah, and, and that really is, I think, one of the keys because we could tell people in the system or tell workers, like, you have to do this and, like, make them do it, but that, to me, is less effective and in, in, in can pour into their work with the clients mm-hmm. in terms, and I've seen lots of evidence of, of this where clients, like, when we're working with people experiencing homelessness, we have to meet them where they're at. It's our job to help find out what's going to help them. What we don't want to do is blame the client. Like, there's times where the client doesn't show up, or maybe they're not feeling well that day, or maybe they're too drunk to engage in some meaningful uh, activity. So we have to realize that we have to adapt our approach, either coming at different times, coming with different suggestions, whatever it is we have to do to get them that help. And that is different than sitting in your office and people who want to have help come on in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's such an important piece of courage when it comes to leadership is the whole meeting people where they're at. You know, this example is a very extreme example, um, but an important connection to how we lead and how we need to, people generally are doing the best they can under the circumstances of that day and that moment. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a it's a shift in thinking. And that's a really good point in, in helping, when we talk about serving the, the highest acute with our scale, a lot of the systems used to working with the people that are, are have less acuity, but that that's a point where we talk about empowering the clients we're working with. So often people think people experiencing homelessness are helpless or hapless or just sitting there waiting for someone to come along. And they have lives, they have things they're doing, they have activities, they have skills, they have wants. They can be empowered to do things. They don't have to rely on us and really kind of the sweet spot is finding the spot where we're actually needed and not trying to do more than what we should. And that is another thing that I try to instill and help the team to recognize because we hear stories all the time about groups maybe going out and handing out food to people out in the communities. And I'm, I'm connected across the country. Some of my friends are, are big advocates, uh, homeless advocates, and they'll share stories about how other so people experiencing homelessness they they're offering other people food that they they have too much food that people have just given them so they they like giving it back out and, and really you know food's important but when we're looking at ending homelessness we have to cut through all that and get to the spot where we actually need to help trying to keep people um, fed warm alive all that can take up all of our time to where we don't actually get into the change work to get people connected into housing. Right. Well, the book that's right over there on If I Had a Water Buffalo talks about, have you read it? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it, this woman was doing work in, um, in Indonesia and they were paying for kids to go to school. And this man walks up and said, do you really want to help? And she said, well, yeah, we're sending your kids to school. Like we're helping. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I need a water buffalo. If I had a water buffalo, I could send my own kids to school. And it was like this light bulb went off, like, let's enable them to help themselves because they're perfectly able to do that. Yep. And it's, it was such, and it's, it, the way she writes it is really good in that, like, shift in your brain. That's awesome. Because yeah. 
oftentimes our human nature is to just come in and help the people that need help. But when you're always being helped, right, that but breaks your spirit. And we don't want to do that. That's the last thing we ever want to do. But really listening to what the people have to say. So a lot of our work is, of course, engaging and assessing people, but helping them sign up for housing programs or subsidies, right? And there's, it's all sorts of paperwork and documentation, improving this and making sure you fit the criteria. Now, that's a lot of times where we can help, deciphering the paperwork that has to be done, um, accessing documents. But people, they, they may be able to go get their own ID. Maybe they just need a little bit of money. We don't have to do everything for them. So we really have to listen where we're needed and empower where we're not. Mm-hmm. I love it. So let's shift gears a little on the courageous side. And we talk a lot, and I've been studying and thinking a lot about shame lately, reading Brene Brown's books and, you know, the power of empowerment and the power of feeling like I can take care of myself. So when it comes to somebody who ends up experiencing homelessness, where does courage come in for them? I mean, I'm sure it's left and right, but in trying to really change their situation, how does that come in? So... For one, just surviving out there takes all sorts of courage and, and resources and gusto. Like, <laughs> it, people want to say, well, people who are homeless are lazy, and that's why they're homeless. And it, I've, the things people go through just to stay alive are amazing. Shame is a big part of, of homelessness. People feel like a failure. They feel like they've let their family down. They feel like there's no help available. So a lot of our work may be helping people to believe in themselves. I'm amazed at how resilient people are and how they're able to to get by. But so many times of, we talked earlier about how the system has failed them. Why would people want to engage in a system that's, that's failed them? It's already hard enough to be homeless and then to try and try and get not helped over and over again really hurts. Mm-hmm. So... For the people, that's what helps me to train and teach my workers and try to help systems change is because we can do more harm than good in our approach. So we really have to meet people where they're at. And, and so the, the people we're working with, we're hopefully able to help encourage them to be able to, to try again. But when they don't try or they give uh, agencies or places to go for help a hard time, they're often shut the door once again. So for my part, the best I can do to help the people that we're serving is to help those places to be able to accommodate, bend and, and get to where they're looking at their approach in a different way. And when you, yeah, and when you put the human feelings behind it, we all know what shame feels like, not to that degree, but we all know, you know, and so you put that human aspect behind it and people suddenly start to say, oh, wait a second, and shift the way they think. Um, and I, when I lived in New York City, I read some stories of people who had, had experienced homelessness. You don't, you don't think before they became homeless. Right. You know, you don't think about the life they had, the job they had, the family, the, the perfectly, you know, and through any set of crappy circumstances, they end up in this place. And oftentimes outside of their control. Yeah, and that's what we have to recognize. And, and hopefully, as a system, we're able to recognize that. But people, they're very resilient. The things that, that they've developed um, survival skills over time are places that we can use to 
build on their strengths to be able to help them to carry on and, and access uh, the help that they need and, and use that to get out of situations. One of the things around here in Traverse City, Northwest Michigan, housing is expensive and really hard to find. So a lot of the the survival skills people have developed living homeless or in poverty is is being able to talk well. So we sometimes are able to coach the people we're serving to be able to talk to the landlord in ways that will help um, their situation rather than get the door shut in their face once again. So that's an example of, of helping where hurt, hurt has been involved and be able to build on what's been established through that hurt to be able to help promote betterness. Absolutely, and build the skills. Yeah. So one thing I'd love to hear is a success story. Because okay. we hear about homelessness. We hear yeah. about people experiencing homelessness, but probably due to shame and people don't want to talk about where they have been, we don't hear the, this person was on the street living there and now they've rebuilt their life and they've shown a lot of courage and it worked. So yeah. do you have a, a case study for us? Yes, there's certainly lots of examples of, of being able to uh, get out of homelessness that we, we've helped a lot of times. But we talk about the system and the, the homeless dollars that come into to help homelessness. Most people aren't going to get out of homelessness that way. There's so much homelessness. Most people get out of it on their own or through a little bit of help and encouragement from from us. So I'll use a guy. I don't want to use his real name. Yeah, sure. I'll call him Frank. <laughs> Frank has been experiencing homelessness on and off, mostly on, for as long as I've been doing this, 11 years. And he's tried everything. He's he had substance abuse issues. We call it substance, substance use disorder now. And a lot of the, the things people go through in what I've seen is trauma, some sort of traumatic experience or a series of traumatic events in their lives is really the common theme with people experiencing long-term homelessness on the streets. So this guy had lots of trauma in his life and tried all sorts of mental health help, substance use help, in and out of jail, transitional housing, over and over again. Vicious, never-ending cycles of not actually being housed, but shelters, treatment centers, jails, over and over again. And he actually was housed a couple of times throughout this this time. Um, what we do in our homeless response is rehouse people. If it doesn't work, we help them get housed again. So we did that a few times, and, and the system kind of failed him and put him in a place that he didn't really want to be in, far out of town. It had stairs, and he couldn't navigate the stairs, and he, he walked away from that because he couldn't get. It was way out, probably 45 minutes from Traverse City, and he couldn't access anything. The workers had to drive him to do his laundry and things like that, and it just wasn't working. So he left that, and you would think that that is a, a failure, which... It was more of a failure on the system than on him, but good for him to recognize to get out of that situation. And and he did, but now um, he entered a, a treatment program, stayed in a, a, what we would call a halfway house or a transition house from substance abuse treatment for almost a year, got a job, and then when you're living in a transitional house situation, you don't qualify as homeless for the system. So he couldn't get any of the help that was needed. And that was really frustrating for him. Um, we'd have a couple of calls once in a while, but he really was able to tap into his supports that he gained over time and throughout the last couple of years to lean on and help. And he found a place to live, uh, actual room for rent, and he's able to live without help from us 
on his own, a guy that probably should have died on the streets and is now working, giving back, living in his own place. And probably feeling like a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your smile right now tells me that you're <laughs> like, yes, it worked. Yes. And I mean, doing that for 11 years with the same person, it would be easy to close the door and say it's a it's a lost cause. Yeah. And for myself, I cannot do personally. It just I can't look at somebody and, and give up on them. Mm-hmm. But it's also street outreach is it's really the the bottom of the barrel. There's the, the only place worse than street outreach is death. Right. And some people might think that's better. So. We're constantly there. Yeah. We don't give up on people. They, they, we can't, they don't go anywhere else. When they're on the streets, it's, you know, interacting with these other systems. But, like, we're their support when they're on the streets. Yeah. Well, and, and to have a list that's entitled the, ne- the most likely person to die on the street, I mean, that's, that says something right there. I'd never heard that before. That changed the way <laughs> I did street outreach. We started using that back in probably the end of 2012 using that I, I learned of this tool and started using it and it, it changed the way I did outreach so it really helped me to prioritize my time to the people that needed me most mm-hmm. and usually the those were the people that weren't asking for help I had to go find them in the woods under the bridges sitting in the corner at community meals stuff like that like actively seek out them and a lot of times they may be telling me to go away right but we come back. I have an, another example. It's a success story. A, a couple that was living in their van for the past four years. They had a real difficult time. They have some significant challenges in their life and, and significant trauma. And so getting people to get away from them was what they were very good at. Right? It took me actually about two years to actually engage with them to be able to move forward in the process to even look at some housing help. And finally, they got the housing help. And, of course, there's all sorts of things you have to pass for certain programs like, um, you know, being homeless enough, being disabled enough, and then passing background checks for management companies or landlords, right? And so we had finally everything in place, and then they were going to get denied because of a criminal offense on, on the male's um, record. But I knew it was coming. I explained it and prepared them. And sure enough, it came. I said, okay. All we have to do is appeal. This will be a mostly a formality, like the, the program is there to help you, and the management company has experience with this. All you got to do is sign this letter that I typed out explaining, you know, why you should be in housing. And of course, to him, it was another defeat, a failure. I'm not going to get housing, so he got all mad, crumpled up the piece of paper, and threw it. So I said, okay, and I went and picked up the piece of paper, and I said, have a nice day, and I left. I came back the next day, talked, unrolled, unraveled the piece of paper, flattened it out, and said, how about you sign today? And he did. So it's like, that's an example of how this work is done. If if we get offended by people lashing out, then we're not going to be able to do this work. We have to really not take it personally and realize the things people go through are horrible. And so we have to be able to kind of cut through that and get to the point where we can help. And I, I call it like creating a small bubble of a place for creating change even if it's five minutes a day creating a safe space where people can talk about how we can move forward not having to tell how terrible their life is again we know that it's terrible but how can we move forward mm-hmm. well and that's such an important message whether you're dealing with somebody that's experiencing homelessness or somebody in the office that's having a tough day you know it's not always easy and and uh and 
generally people are doing the best they can in the moment. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Again, shifting gears a little bit to people in general, the public, the, the people with homes. Yeah. <laughs> As we think about homelessness, oftentimes it's a scary thing to think about, having never experienced it, never having been close to it. And so what would you say to people in building up their, the way they think about it? You know, I mean, it's easy to jump to conclusions and judgments like we've been talking about. And, and what is the helpful thing that just random people can do? So homelessness really is, there's a huge stigma attached to it, and a lot of it is, I think, it's mysterious, right? We we often wonder how can, it's hard for us to grasp how someone could actually be homeless without a home, and so a lot of times I think our brains go to people choose that, and that's really not how it is. One of the, the things that we can try to help with our mindset is remembering that people experiencing homelessness, there's six types, right? There's mothers, fathers brothers, sisters, sons and daughters, right? People come from somewhere. They're, they have families. They've come from families. They may have families still. So looking at it that way really, really helps. And really the, the common thing, what I've seen, again, is trauma. Think about we may have had traumatic experiences. We may know people that have traumatic experiences or have family members that have had traumatic experiences. And we all deal with it in different ways. Some of us are able to adapt to it and overcome. Others need some help and then others need help and they haven't got it for whatever reason. So think about that. There's all sorts of um, things that happen to people that they aren't able to overcome is usually in the past. That's the common thing that I've seen. And then, of course, people may make what we would call bad choices to overcome those to make the pain go away and that just makes it compounds and makes it worse so coming from a place of compassion realizing that people don't want to be there they are suffering but one of the things I say if you see someone on the street experiencing homelessness don't avoid them like you may say hello and make eye contact with people as you pass by like you can do that it's okay to do that to a person experiencing homelessness we may have a fear of like oh no I should have done something but if, if you just acknowledge and say hello, that is very, very helpful. Just treat them like a human. Exactly. Just treat them like you would anybody else walking down the street. Yeah. And we may be scared because we don't, we don't understand what's going on with that person. But just that is a simple thing. And then realizing that the trauma and the things people have gone through is, is hurting and they need to heal. And they can't do that on the streets. It's really hard. So... Definitely all across the country, affordable housing is a huge issue, and that's really exacerbating homelessness and making it hard for us to, to house people. So promoting affordability for everybody. And a lot of times, we there's a lot of families and people out there struggling that are doing everything they can just to hang out and get by, so they're not getting help that they need. Why should we help people that are on the street? And really promoting housing stability for all, kind of lifting the ship together and, and all of us rising is really the only way we're going to be able to accomplish this. Mm. Have you seen a rise late? I mean, with all the economic stuff that's happening, have you seen a rise in homelessness in the area? I have. And, and, and um, we've actually, some of the housing programs we have people housed in, the, the actual units are being sold and bought and not the people are, have had to move out back to the streets 
because of the the lack of a housing unit. So that's a real big problem in our area, mm-hmm. especially Traverse City. So we're 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 constantly looking at ways to be able to increase affordability. Yeah, because it's a desirable place to live. People want to move here, um, yeah. and they're if if a landlord sees they can cash in on it and make a little more money yeah of course and and you know why wouldn't you right that's business and we have to acknowledge that we can't take away from that but there there's things that we can do to help the little guy there's a a thing called the rural housing partnership in our region that's now looking at ways to incentivize landlords to be able to uh, keep their rents low to be able to incentivize developers to be able to develop low-income housing because it's 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 not very cost effective to build low-income housing it's almost like you have to take a hit, and people can't survive in business doing that. So, there's there's ways that we can we can do that so everybody gets a chance. And, and this place is a beautiful place to live, and it's um, lots of people are moving here. One of the another misconception we hear is people are moving here that are homeless because it's such a great place to live, and it's not the case. People come here. It, maybe people have fallen on hard times and they come back to where they're from or they come to stay with a family member or a friend and then it doesn't work out and then may end up on the streets. But I have yet to meet someone who's homeless somewhere else to be homeless here. There's a couple of people I've met over the years that have severe mental health issues that just travel around. They're always running from things that aren't there. And that's something that I see. But really, people coming here to be homeless is, is not a thing. Yeah. Well, and just looking out the window today at 24 degrees and snowy, I can't imagine I would go south, south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. again, going back to somewhere you know. Yeah. Anything else we should know about what you do and courageousness within the homeless community and anything like that? Well, the people that I've met and have got to know over the years living on the streets, they come together to be able to survive. It's really amazing to see kind of the human um, nature of, of helping others come together at the very basic level. It's really amazing. And some of the, the strongest, most resilient, smart people I've met have been living on the streets. Certainly there's some, you know, taking and stealing from each other, but when it really comes down to it, they help each other get by. Even so much as we had a, a, a guy two buddies that were staying at the shelter one they were having a quarrel and one of them punched the other one so the guy the guy who did the punching got exited from the shelter right kicked out for the night and i think it was a few nights but the guy that he punched left with him to help keep him alive out on the streets all night and that is something that you never ever would think would happen but it really living on the streets is life or death and and people are are working to help each other out there wow so they'll give up the warmth to go and make sure that their buddy's okay. Yeah. That connect- wow. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I've, I love that, and I'm going to end with that because that human connection is so important, and part of that takes takes courage. So yeah. thank you so much, Ryan. This is awesome. And yeah. perspectives I, I, yeah, I didn't even think about, so I, I'm always learning things, and, and I know people are going to really benefit from this. So thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. You got it. Thank you.